0: From Sarasota Memorial and the Deb Kabanoff Multimedia Studio, this is HealthCast, a healthy dose of information from experts you can trust.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to HealthCast. I'm Allison Godermeyer Thank you so much for joining us today as we talk about the treatment for patients with complex valve disorders. Our guest today is interventional cardiologist Ricardo Yariura, Dr. Yargura, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Can you start by explaining how patients are referred to the Valve Clinic at Sarasota Memorial? What are some of the conditions treated there?
0: Sure. Uh, uh, Most patients are referred to the Valve Clinic through cardiologists or the internists in town, family doctors. Patients can self-refer themselves as well if they know that they have a heart condition. The valve clinic is really just dedicated for structural heart disease. So it's the valves of the heart. There's four of them, the aortic valve, the mitral valve, tricuspid valve, and the pulmonic valve. Um, Some patients are referred because they have holes in their hearts and they've had strokes as a consequence of that or have birth defects, holes that are large enough that are complicating their life and they require evaluation. So most are referred from either surgeons, internists, family doctors, or cardiologists.
1: And this is a multidisciplinary team, correct? Yes, correct. What are the benefits of having the entire structural heart team kind of under one roof, if you will?
0: Yeah, no, it it optimizes the evaluation and gives the patients the best options for the best treatment. Not everybody is the ideal candidate for a catheter-based intervention. Some patients are better off with actually having surgery. So patients that come through our valve clinic will be seen by general cardiologists, interventional cardiologists, for imaging is the uh, specialized radiologist and then a surgeon. And almost in all cases, our cases are discussed in our valve clinic. Uh, as a committee, we, we get together every two weeks to discuss the cases. But some cases are straightforward that we know that they'll be best served with surgery and some are best served with a catheter intervention. So they don't necessarily have to go through the whole evaluation through the structural valve clinic team. Uh, but if there's a, Concern about um, some complexities of the procedures, either from a surgical perspective or a catheter based perspective, then it's good for us to get together with the surgeons and as an interventional cardiologist, and we discuss what we think might be the best for the patient. And sometimes it's hybrid. Sometimes we do something with a catheter, and some it ends up being a surgical. Like we both intervene on the patient on two separate occasions.
1: Let's discuss some of the treatments and services provided at the valve clinic. SMH was the first hospital in Southwest Florida to earn TAVR certification from the American College of Cardiology. What is TAVR?
0: So TAVR stands for transcatheter aortic valve replacement. The Europeans call it TAVI because that stands for transcatheter aortic valve implantation. So we're not actually, when we do TAVR, which is the catheter procedure, we're not replacing the valve. We're actually putting a valve inside the valve. So we're actually implanting it. Um, the certification came about because we happen to be a very high volume hospital. We do a lot of these procedures. Um, and and because we've, had, we've been fortunate enough that we have a great team and we have great outcomes. And so that was acknowledged by the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association. And therefore we got that accreditation.
1: You mentioned the frequency. How often are the TAVR procedures being performed at SMH?
0: So we're doing somewhere between 270 to 300 cases a year of just the aortic valve. But we also do, of course, the interventions of the mitral valve, now tricuspid valve, um, and the other things I mentioned. But the, the aortic valve is the most intervened procedure that we do with catheters at our hospital.
1: What patients are eligible for a TAVR?
0: Right, excellent question. So first of all, you have to have symptoms from the valve, generally symptoms, or we have to see that your heart's being damaged by a valve that's very narrowed down, uh, and so it either needs to be replaced or put a TAVR in there. The guidelines essentially obligate us to give the patient the opportunity to discuss a catheter intervention, TAVR, but also a surgical approach. So we have to, all our patients that are interested in TAVR need to be seen by a surgeon for two reasons. One, it's mandated, and two, it's because it's only fair for the patient to be able to hear the option of a surgical approach. The surgical approach does not always have to entail opening up the chest. We have surgeons that can do this procedure minimally invasive, but it is still open heart surgery and that they're still put in a bypass machine. The recuperation's a little bit longer. There's some um, things about patients that we think that surgery approach might be better versus a catheter-based procedure. So if somebody has two or three valves that are not great and one severe, you might say, why don't we do surgery and take care of all of the valves at the same time? If they have heart blockages, options would be to put in stents, but you could also go to surgery and get bypass and valve at the same time. And then some patients have the valve is so narrowed down from, from a birth defect called a bicuspid valve that some of those patients have an aneurysm, on top of the valve as it, as it exits the heart, and those will need to be operated on. So if there are certain size, more than 4.5 centimeters, we say to the patient, listen, although we can do TAVR and we can do it, that maybe in the next five to 10 years, you're gonna need open heart surgical procedure to fix the aneurysm. Why don't you get it repaired now when you're younger, less risk, and then in the future, if there's a problem with the surgical valve, we can do a valve inside the valve with TAVR.
1: So for those patients who are good candidates for TAVR, what are some of the benefits over other treatment options?
0: So there's three options with, with severe aortic stenosis when we're talking about TAVR. One is to do nothing. So if you're symptomatic with severe aortic stenosis, 50% of people die within two years and everybody dies within four. So it's a lethal condition. But if you're 95, you might say, I lived a great life. I'm not interested in having procedures. And you might say, I don't want anything. And and we don't um, exclude people based on their age. I'm pretty sure that the oldest person that we've done, which was my patient, was 98. Good quality of life, functional, so we did it. But so one option is to do nothing and do the best you can with medications. And what medications does is really try to alleviate a problem that's not being resolved. You know, because the valve's not opening, so you need to open it. So what happens, they fill up with fluid, they're short of breath, they're tired, fatigued. Sometimes they have chest discomfort they can be passing out. So we try and manage that the best we can on medications and then ultimately you die. The other option is to do something about that valve, either replace it surgically or do TAVR. And the way that you pick one or the other, the advantages of one or the other, really again has to do with the comorbidities of what else is going on at the same time. But everybody over the age of 65 is eligible to have TAVR, whether you're a low risk for surgery, high risk for surgery, or intermediate. And of course, if you're inoperable, then TAVR is the way to go. Um, if you're under the age of 65, unless you have prohibitive reasons for surgery, generally, we would tell these younger patients to go for surgery. And then TAVR is much less risky. It's a procedure that in 95% of our cases, the Sarah Memorial Hospital, are done with the patients awake. 95% of them at least are done through the common femoral artery, so through the groin site it takes us roughly 30 minutes to do, you go home the next day. You know, so it's, And then when you look at the complications or the potential risk from the procedure, if you're not a high risk or an operable patient from a surgical perspective, your mortality risk with tavern is less than 1%. Vascular complications, the way we go in because we're using bare catheters, less than 2%. The need for a pacemaker that's one of the higher complication rates uh, that's between five to 10%. Some data shows at 10 to 15%, depending on the valve type that you use. We've consistently at our hospital been very fortunate and our pacemaker rates between four and a half to
1: 5%. Can you speak to the importance of a high volume center and having that certification at Sarasota Memorial in, in choosing a location to possibly have your TAVR procedure? Yeah, so uh,
0: great question. Um, you know, it's, we're, we're, we're mechanics is essentially what we are, right? If you choose the right patient with the right procedure, the patient does great. But the more that you do of it, the better you are. The way I look at it is, it's not so much, you know, what's our percentage of success? Is it 95 or 98%? The thing is, if you have a complication, how good are you at managing that complication? So if I tell you the risk of death is less than 1%, you have to do at least 100 cases to see 1% death, one person died. And if you have the skill, the knowledge, and the experience, that one patient may not die because you knew how to react fast enough to to mitigate the potential cause of the death. You know what I'm saying? So it's been shown in my specialty, in my world, the more you do, the better you are. And it's been shown that if you have a high volume place with high volume operators, you do great. If you have a high volume place with a low volume operator, you do okay. And if you have a low volume hospital with a low volume operator, you probably should be really careful.
1: Another procedure performed by the team at Sarasota Memorial is the transcatheter mitral valve repair. What exactly is that and how does it work?
0: So that, that, that's a, an option, an alternative for surgical procedure. So if people have severe, this particular procedure is for people who have severe leakage of the heart valve called mitral regurgitation. And, and the truth is, and sometimes it hurts for me to say this, but the best treatment for severe mitral regurgitation, if it's because the valve's broken, it's a degenerative problem with the valve, the best way to manage that is surgical. The problem is some of the patients are, are high risk they're not great for surgery. And our surgical colleagues will tell us that, you know, so instead of having surgery for that particular scenario, then we can put either what's called a mitral valve clip or a mitral valve clasp, or sometimes we can actually put an artificial valve in that position as well, um, currently as part of a trial that we're participating in. Uh, If the valve has been pulled apart because the heart's weak, so that's called functional mitral irritation, which is the most common form of or cause of mitral regurgitation, then the treatment varies a little bit. The treatment primarily should be to treat the weakening of the heart muscle that's causing the problem, and that's medications and sometimes a special type of a pacemaker, sometimes pacemaker defibrillator. If the patient's optimized with therapy and the valve is still leaking and they're not feeling well, then you should contemplate the repair of that valve. Repair from a surgeon, especially if you have a center of excellence, does well. But if the patient's heart is very weak, if the patient's very frail, or again, not a great candidate to recuperate from surgery or potentially survive from surgery, then it's a good patient to be considered for mitral clip, clasp, or for us to do what I just mentioned, transmitral valve replacement. So each patient has to be individualized, uh, but, but essentially we have a good idea where they fall into their buckets or where they should be going. But that's where also the discussion with our colleagues, the surgeons, and our general cardiologists is, you know what might be the best way to proceed because both treatments are good. Uh, but surgical procedure can eliminate the leakage completely. With mitral valve clipping in class, we can reduce it by at least 50%. We've reduced it sometimes up to 95%. Uh, but a surgeon generally is left with trivial leakage or no leakage at all. But again, if the risk of mortality is in this range of 7% or higher, you might want to go for the clip or the clasp because the risk of death is less than
1: 1%. So why is that clip? or the repair, a better option for those patients? What are, what are the advantages? So
0: it's, it's, it's a catheter-based procedure. We do put the patients under general anesthesia, but it's not the same type if you're under cardiac general anesthesia for open heart surgery or not stopping the heart. There's no cutting. The procedure for clip or clasp can take, as, I've done it as quick as 15 minutes. It's taken me as long as three and a half hours, but it averages an hour. The biggest complaint that patients have sore throat because they have a breathing tube in and we have a special ultrasound tube that's called transesophageal echocardiogram so we can visualize what we're doing. Um, and so they complain that my, I have a sore throat for a day or two or three. They have maybe sometimes a little black and blue at the leg site. Again, there was no cutting. They go home the next day and they resu- resume activities unrestricted. If you have open heart surgery, you know, you're in the hospital for a week, five to seven days. You can't drive for four weeks. You know, there's a lot more of the healing process. Again, I'd do. I I'd be the first to say that surgery should generally be the first option to consider. Uh, but if it's not a good option, then consider what we do.
1: One other implant I want to talk about is the Watchman implant. What is that and how does it work?
0: Okay, so the Watchman, and actually there's another device called the Amulet, but the Watchman more popular and certainly in North America it's more popular. And it was the first device to come out. These devices have been manufactured and engineered to actually eliminate a source of where most clots come from in patients who have atrial flutter or atrial fibrillation. So 90 95% of clots that cause strokes come from what's called the left atrial appendage. It's like, uh, it's a cul-de-sac. It just expands outside the heart. It's part of the heart. But if you're in atrial flutter or atrial fibrillation, that area of the heart's not contracting. So the blood stagnates. And if blood stagnates, it can clot. So it has historically always been, if that's what you have, and you have risk factors for stroke, you should be on an anticoagulant, a blood thinner. The concern is that that that's not the only source though. The clots can form in other parts of the heart. So if there's no reason why you could not be in a blood thinner, then you should go for the, the golden treatment, 100% protection from stroke, would to be get a medication. But if you're somebody who frequently falls, who has bleeding problems, has problems with memory, cognitive impairment, uh, has had bleeding inside their brain, um, you know, and sometimes cost, or if you're in a high risk profession, You're a police officer, you could get shot. If you do high, uh, uh, dangerous type sports, mountain climbing, biking, or whatever, then being on an anticoagulant may not be so favorable long-term. So what we can do as a procedure, roughly takes us anywhere, depends who does it, um, and and the anatomy, 20 to 40 minutes from start to finish to put this, essentially it's like um, a cork in this appendage, you eliminate it, And in the short term, you still have to be in a blood thinner, but long-term, you don't. You know, you end up being on aspirin and and a drug called Plavix or Clopidogrel. So you come off the blood thinner that is called like Warfarin, Jantavin, and some of the newer ones you see on TV, like Eliquis or Alton Pradaxa, you can avoid taking those long-term if you have the Watchman device put in or the amulet.
1: Can you talk about the importance of having such a comprehensive valve clinic that offers all of these procedures and more in this community?
0: Well, it's a a great, it's a resource. It's a great resource. So, you know, if you are established with a family doctor or cardiologist or a surgeon, and and you're interested in hearing alternative therapies where your doctor may not have the time to spend with you, or they may have biases towards certain procedures versus other procedures. uh, I like to think that the valve clinic is, is um, is unbiased. It's open to everybody. Um, and, and really what you're just getting is a second opinion or an evaluation and, and give you some guidance to try and see how you might want to proceed with the care your care, you know, how you want your valve managed. Um, there's a lot of lot of research uh, that's going on with these valves in terms of new procedures available, which most people, a lot of people are not aware of. You know, out of sight, out of mind. If you're in a small town, you're not going to have maybe uh, local capabilities of doing stents for heart attacks, for example. So those patients are flown into here for us to take care of them. But that same community certainly is not going to know maybe very much about mitral clipping and trans-mitral replacement. Taver, yes, because it's been advertised a lot in the country, as has the Watchman procedure. The company was very astute, realizing if we advertise to the public, they'll request it. So we have a lot of patients that just come to talk about it because they've heard about it and they're curious about it, but they're not necessarily the best candidate for it. They don't understand why. So the, the, the valve clinic becomes a very good resource for them to learn about that. Our nurse practitioners and the head of it, Pat Conant, they're like fantastic. I mean, they're just a resource to you. You know, They have brochures for you. Uh, they can get you to education or speak lectures about these sort of things. And then certainly if you want to actually speak to a cardiologist or a cardiothoracic surgeon or an electrophysiologist, they'll guide you. They'll give you names and places where you can go get a one-to-one consultation.
1: If a patient thinks that they are a good candidate for one of these procedures, what should their next steps be?
0: I think that you know, if, if, they've discuss, if they haven't discussed with their doctors, I would say discuss with your doctors, You know, your, your own doctor. Uh, and see what they say and to see if they can, you know, initiate the consultation to see a specialist in the field. But if if there's lack of familiarity with who to go to, then call our our valve clinic, Sarasota Memorial Hospital. It should be on the website. There's a phone number, you know, internet, Sarasota Memorial Hospital valve clinic.
1: Before we go, I wanted to also talk to you about the commitment of the physician's like yourself and those you work with in the valve clinic to staying on the forefront of technology and being involved in, in clinical research. We don't have time to dig into all the clinical research trials you're currently involved in, but how important is it at a community hospital to have physicians committed to that and, and making that extra effort?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. That's great. I mean, I think it's, it's up to the physicians to be interested. Um, what's happened, what, what has been allowed for us to do this is the hospital's been supportive. You know, so we're extremely progressive. I think by nature we're competitive and we're a little obsessive compulsive. And and I think that what research forces you to stay in the forefront, you know, it forces us to understand what's going on and to, to dig in harder to say, can we do something better for our patients for quality of life, longevity of life, and better outcomes. The more we do, the more they see, the better we are. And because of research, then we're in communications with other countries in the world that do this, other programs in the world. Um, It's very collegial and you learn from each other and that just keeps making us better. So it's awesome.
1: Dr. Yaira, thank you so much for being with us today. And as always, we encourage everyone in our community to visit smh.com to get the latest information from Sarasota Memorial. Have a great day.